0: On February 25 of this year, the US House of Representatives passed HR-5. It's also referred to or known as the Equality Act. That bill now sits in the Senate as S-5 and is waiting for a vote in the Senate. If that bill passes in the Senate, it will then proceed to President Biden who has promised to sign this bill into law. Now on first glance, The Equality Act. That sounds like a good thing. Everyone's for equality. Equality is a good thing, so the Equality Act must be a good thing. But the title's a bit deceptive. I believe that it's a bit Orwellian in nature, meaning it's destructive to the construct of a free and open society. The stated intent of the bill is to provide equality for those who identify as LGBTQ individuals. Now I understand, I recognize that people who identify as LGBTQ people have not always been treated kindly or with respect. Unfortunately, the church has had a history of not treating those who identify as LGBTQ with kindness or respect. That's wrong. Jesus loves people who identify as LGBTQ individuals. But the Equality Act seems to be a poor solution to to reconcile that problem because what the Equality Act is likely to do is to discriminate against another group of people limiting their free speech, freedom of expression, and freedom of religion. This past week I did a little bit of research and I came across a website produced by the Alliance Defending Freedom And they identified a number of the concerns with the Equality Act, and I'd like to share those with you this morning. This is their idea or views of the concerns that they see with the Equality Act. Directly impacts churches and ministries by preventing them from being able to live out biblical beliefs about marriage, sexual morality, and the distinction between the sexes. Compels ministries, and Christian business owners to pay for health coverage that includes procedures that go against their deeply held convictions, such as sex reassignment surgeries. Forbids churches from ensuring that their employees abide by their doctrines or beliefs about marriage, sexual behavior, and the distinction between the sexes. Mandates that men who identify as women be allowed to compete in the female category for women's athletic titles and women's scholarships. Forces doctors, counselors, and healthcare practitioners to violate their conscience by prescribing puberty blockers, cross sex hormones, and sex reassignment surgery. Forces pro life hospitals and doctors to perform or facilitate abortions. Punishes faith based adoption and foster care providers who refuse to contradict their belief that God created men, women, and families such that children thrive best in homes with a married mother and father. Denies federal financial aid to students at faith-based colleges and universities unless the schools abandon policies and practices reflecting their sincerely held beliefs about marriage and sexuality forbids religious educational institutions from admitting only students who share the school's beliefs, cuts off federal tuition assistance to students at single-sex institutions of higher education, may even make such schools illegal. The Equality Act does not include any religious exemptions. It's clear from the list that the Equality Act does not actually promote equality. In fact, it does just the opposite by showing extreme favoritism to some groups of individuals at the cost of another group of individuals, primarily Christians. If the Equality Act is passed, it is likely that Christians, that followers of Jesus, will face hardships, trials, and persecution. The government's intent with this will likely be to limit, they will likely limit free speech, and will like to potentially control our actions as followers of Jesus through fines, penalties, and even imprisonment. It has happened in other democratic countries, and it may happen here as well. So it doesn't appear to me that the Equality Act is something that promotes equality. But the question for us this morning is how do we respond? As followers of Jesus Christ, what do we do? What do we say? Because as I've been talking, my guess is that up inside of you some tensions have been rising to the top. Then some of you, you may have a sense of fear that you're experiencing, maybe discouragement, maybe even depression about what the future holds. Others of you may be on the other side of the coin and, and you may be thinking about fighting. I'm gonna respond and I'm gonna proclaim my rights and state and argue. There's tensions that are rising up inside, but the question is, so what then shall we do? What should be our response? This morning our text has some instruction and encouragement for us in regard to this potential adversity, or any other adversity that we face in our lives. Because as followers of Jesus, it's important for us to recognize that every adversity provides opportunity. Every adversity always provides some opportunity. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, it's found in the Bible that's in the rack in front of you on page 951. I'd encourage you to grab that Bible if you don't have one so you can follow along. This morning we're gonna be focused on verses 12 through 18. Now as we have learned so far in our study of the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church and to us while he was in prison in Rome. He had certainly faced, experienced significant hardships, trials, and persecution. Paul knew adversity. A few years before this imprisonment, before writing this letter to us, Paul was in Jerusalem. And while he was in Jerusalem, he was falsely accused of taking a Gentile into the temple, which was illegal. Well, Paul was yanked out of the temple, he was taken into the streets, he was beaten. He was beaten so badly that he almost died. The the guards came in and arrested him, arrested him and took him to Caesarea, a city that's by the sea, and imprisoned him in Caesarea for two years. While he's there in imprisonment, Paul makes an appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen to be tried before Caesar. Caesar grants that privilege, and Paul gets on a ship to go to Rome for a trial. While he's on that journey, the ship becomes shipwrecked. He gets bitten by a snake. He has to spend a winter on the island of Malta. After that winter, he's put back on the ship in chains, taken to Rome, placed in confinement in Rome 24-7, chained to a Praetorian guard, awaiting trial before a crazed dictator, his life in the balance." Paul's circumstances clearly were enough to make anyone depressed and discouraged. Not only depressed and discouraged, but fearful as well, fearful for the future. Yet Paul isn't depressed or discouraged Paul's not fearful either. In fact, he tells us over and over again. We've seen it so far in the book of Philippians. We're gonna see it a lot more. Paul tells us over and over again about the joy that he experiences in Christ Jesus. This contentment, confidence, and hope that he has in Jesus. He tells us that he is full of joy. How can this be possible? All of those trials, the hardships, the suffering, the persecution how can it be possible? Well, in our text this morning, we see three reasons, three ways that adversity provides opportunity. And the key to joy is recognizing that when we seize the opportunity, we will experience the joy that Jesus has for us. Three ways. First, adversity provides opportunity for the spread of the gospel. Adversity provides opportunity for the spread of the gospel. In spite of all the adversity he faced, Paul does not complain or ask himself if all that he is facing is fair. Instead, he focuses on Jesus and his purposes. And Paul challenges us, he challenges you, and he challenges me to do the same. He insists that adversity doesn't stop the gospel, that adversity doesn't even slow down the gospel, rather it advances it. And the advance of the gospel is what provides Paul joy and purpose. Look at verses 12 and 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Here in these verses, the word advance is a military term that refers to the movement of an army into enemy territory. It has the idea of blazing a trail. Paul is saying right here that this imprisonment his imprisonment, this particular adversity, actually served to advance the gospel of Jesus. When you assumed that he'd be limited or that the gospel would be squelched, the exact opposite thing happens. The gospel advances. Now think about this. Think about the context of what is happening here. I'd like you to see with me how God is working in this. Paul is in prison in Rome for being a Christian. And in the midst of the adversity, he constantly is chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. This is important. The Praetorian Guard are Caesar's elite troop, his elite palace guard. There are hundreds of them. These guys are like a West Point grad mixed with a secret service agent. They are the best of the best, this Praetorian Guard. They serve, typically, for between 12 and 16 years. After their service, it was likely that they would go on to bigger and better things, to become ambassadors, to become senators, to become influential in the business world and in industry. These men were guards, they were on track to become the influencers of their day. You see what God is doing? Think about this. If you wanted to influence the Roman Empire, this is a great way to start. Paul is chained to one of these praetorian guards 24/7. Multiple guards, multiple guards per day for 2 years. He's chained to them. It had to be like after a while, you know what starts off where Paul is chained to the guards? It had to be after a while that these guards felt like they were chained to Paul. Amen. Like get me out of here, I can't stand this guy anymore. Because Paul is preaching Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ to these visitors, to the people that come see him and not only do those guards get to hear this gospel over and over again, but Paul preaches the gospel to the guards. Look what it says. It became known throughout the whole palace guard, that's hundreds and hundreds of guards, that Paul was in prison for Jesus. See, this is God's plan. God ordained that Paul would be in prison, chained to a guard for 24-7 so that people who would not have the chance to hear the gospel got the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's plan. Further, to be honest, Paul has a lot more credibility to preach that gospel, doesn't he? He is chained, he is in prison, and he talks about rejoicing because his chains advance the gospel. And that type of joy in that type of circumstance is pretty authenticating. It provides a platform. And Paul had the platform through his trial, through his hardship, through his suffering, through his adversity, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the credibility there because he is suffering. And while he is suffering, he has experienced contentment, confidence, and hope. Adversity provides opportunity to spread the gospel. This is how God has worked all throughout history. In Acts chapter eight, there is instruction to the church in Jerusalem to spread, to go out and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church in Jerusalem kind of ignores that instruction for a period of time until a great persecution comes. And when that great persecution comes, they scatter throughout the known world and the gospel is preached because of their adversity. This theme of adversity and persecution in the early church was so present in the church's first few centuries that Tertullian, a second and third century theologian and lawyer proclaimed that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Adversity provides opportunity to spread the gospel and it wasn't only thousands of years ago. It is a more recent history as a church as well. There's a man by the name of Dr. Joon Don Kim, a Korean man who by all human standards should not have lived past 30 years old. During World War II, Dr. Kim was used as a human shield by the Japanese army to slow the advance of the Chinese army a human shield to stop an advancing army. He escapes from that confinement and runs and flees to the mountains. Later in life, while living in his village in Korea, communist guerrillas attack his village and begin killing all of the members of his village. They kill his wife and his father. They beat Dr. Kim to, close to death and they leave him to die. Yet Dr. Kim recovers. And instead of becoming bitter, Dr. Kim receives Jesus Christ and commits to devotedly following Jesus in his life. And the result? Dr. Kim goes back to his village. He goes back to the communist leader who ordered the killing of the people of his village, of his wife, and of his father, and he says, because of Jesus, I love you and I forgive you. The communist leader falls on his knees and receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Adversity provides opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, Dr. Kim became a pastor to pastors in South Korea. He founded Campus Crusade for Christ in South Korea mentoring, leading thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus Christ, such that South Korea today is a nation that proclaims that over 25% of its population is Christian, and they send missionaries all over the world. Adversity provides the opportunity to spread the gospel, I don't know what's going to happen with the Equality Act. I don't know if it is going to bring adversity to you and me as followers of Jesus. It may, it may not, but I do know. I do know that right now, many of you are facing adversity in your lives. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost your job and you're not sure what the future holds. You're not sure how you're gonna be able to provide for your family. You are not sure where the money is going to come from for your rent. You're not sure where the money is going to come from for food. Maybe your wife has suffered a brain injury and you're not sure what the future holds for her. You're not sure what the future holds for you. You're not sure what the future holds for your family. Maybe your parents are getting divorced and you're just angry and upset. Maybe somebody close to you has passed away. They've recently died. My friend, God's plan is to use your adversity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, which provides salvation. You see, in your adversity, you have a platform. In your hurt, in your pain, in your trial, in your difficulty. God has given you a platform to preach what is eternal, not what is temporal. You have this opportunity to share life with people. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the credibility you have, gives you a platform to spread the gospel. Don't waste the opportunity. Second, adversity provides the opportunity to encourage others. Adversity provides the opportunity to encourage others. When believers in Rome heard how Paul viewed adversity as part of God's plan and how he shared the gospel, they were encouraged. Look at verse 14. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. Paul is in prison. He is sharing the gospel with his visitors. He is sharing the gospel with his guards. And my friends, don't lose the fact that that takes a lot of guts and Paul proclaims the gospel, but it's a complete package. It's not only Paul proclaiming the gospel. Paul is proclaiming the gospel with joy, with contentment, with confidence, and with hope. Paul is proclaiming the gospel without complaining, without wondering why is him in prison and not somebody else. Paul is proclaiming the gospel without fear, and this complete package encourages the other Christians in Rome to speak the gospel as well. Adversity provides the opportunity to encourage others, and the same thing happens today. When I think about my brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Central Asia, who live in a country or countries where the gospel of Jesus Christ is illegal, and speaking of Jesus and his gospel will land you in prison, When I think of them, when I think of brothers and sisters in Mozambique who daily do battle with witch doctors, when I think of brothers and sisters in India who are being martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ and by that they are being killed because they follow Jesus. When I think of these people, it encourages me to get off my tail and get to work. And it's not only across the seas, it's right here present. In 2019, in the summer of 2019, before COVID, we had a group of high school students along with a couple leaders who decided that they were going to volunteer for adversity. They decided that they were gonna go to the other side of the state and they were going to proclaim Jesus and his gospel in the city of Hamtramck, which is a pretty rough part of Detroit, and it is primarily Muslim. And these individuals, these high school students went and knocked on doors to tell people about Jesus. They went in parks to tell people about Jesus. And as I said, they volunteered for adversity. When I hear of that type of courage, it encourages me it encourages me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see what happens? Do you see the opportunity that you have through your adversity? It's not only people across the sea and other countries, it's not only high school students two years ago, it's you and it's me in this place today. We have the opportunity to use our adversity to encourage others to share Jesus when you, listen to this, think about this. When you, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a student and you're in school and God's impressed upon your heart that you need to share Jesus with another student. Maybe you're in high school, maybe you're in college, maybe you're in middle school and God's made it clear that you're supposed to talk to your friend about Jesus. There are two great things that are gonna happen to that. One, your friend is going to hear about Jesus. And number two, the thing we don't often think about is your other Christian friends who are in your class are going to see that you talk to your friend about Jesus. They are going to see your courage and your courage is contagious and will cause them to choose to share Jesus with other friends. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a teacher in a public school and God's impressed upon you to share Jesus creatively with your students. You know what? Maybe you're a teacher in a Christian school because depending on what Christian school you're a part of, sharing Jesus may be problematic. Amen. You guys think, thank you, Don, for getting that. <laughs> Maybe you're a teacher and God's impressed upon you to share Jesus creatively with one of your students. Two great things are gonna happen. One of your students is gonna hear about Jesus and other teachers are gonna see your courage and your courage is going to be contagious. Maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's the gym. When you share Jesus, other people are going to see you share Jesus and it is going to encourage them to share Jesus in his gospel. Adversity provides the opportunity to encourage other people. Which leads us to our third and final point. Adversity provides the opportunity to reveal our priorities. Adversity provides the opportunity to reveal our priorities. In the midst of adversity, in the midst of life's trials and sufferings and even persecution, you and others are going to find out what is really important to you. Look at verse 15, beginning in verse 15. We see what Paul's top priority is. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Can you imagine this? Seriously. Seriously. Think about what's happening here. Paul is in prison for Jesus. He's in prison for Christ, but he has other Christians here ripping on him and trying to tear him down while he is in prison for Christ. It says here that they're doing it out of envy and out of self-aggrandizement, self-promotion. Man, this is a bitter pill to swallow, It's one thing to go into the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to be persecuted for Jesus Christ by those who do not know Jesus. That's somewhat to be expected. But to be ripped apart by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to be criticized by them? Can you think about the betrayal? Can you think about the hurt and the pain that Paul must have felt? knowing that they're doing it out of envy, that they're doing it to promote themselves. And be clear, these are true believers. Paul does not say here that they are false teachers. He says that they are selfish teachers. They are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a lot to bear. But Paul has this great response. It's this amazing response But before we look at his response, let's just think a little bit about this concept of criticism. I wanna be clear with you that that type of criticism still is present in the church today and still should be something that we as followers of Jesus do not engage in. And there's a few reasons why that I'd like to share with you. First, criticism is addictive. The more you criticize others, the more you will criticize others. It will cause you to ignore your own faults and it breeds a spirit of self-righteousness and intolerance. Now I don't know about you, but I have enough problems and issues in my own life that means I don't need to worry about your issues or your problems in your life. Criticism leads to more criticism. Second, criticism takes an extraordinary amount of time and energy away from positive, productive activities like sharing the gospel. When you criticize others, you don't have time to share the gospel. It takes away from productive activities. Stop criticizing others and get to work yourself. Third, criticism stirs up divisiveness and disunity before the world. This causes unbelievers to say that they would rather be part of a bar than part of a church. You see, the problem with us as followers of Jesus is so many times the world knows exactly what we're against Maybe we should turn and direct ourselves and make it clear to the world exactly what we are for. And that is that we are for Jesus Christ and his gospel. Now, yes, you can clap for that. Now, let's look at Paul's incredible response. Look what he writes, verse 18. I just love this. But what does it matter? Isn't that amazing? Like we read through these and you like don't. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice in spite of all of the unwarranted criticism, in spite of the betrayal by other Christians, in spite of being in prison, in spite of his great adversity, of all the adversity Paul had faced throughout his life, Paul can rejoice because he is consumed with Jesus Christ and his gospel. He is laser focused on Jesus and the salvation that only Jesus can bring. Ultimately, he is not concerned with his own reputation. He's not concerned with his own comfort. He's not concerned with his own happiness. He is concerned and consumed with Jesus. You see, Paul is not discouraged or depressed because he loves and serves Jesus. Paul is not afraid because he is laser focused on Jesus and his gospel. You see, the key to Paul's life is he was more concerned with the glory of Jesus Christ than he was with his own glory. Our problem often is we are more concerned with our own glory than we are with the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me put this a different way for you. Often we are more concerned with our comfort than we are with the glory of Jesus Christ often we are more concerned with our pleasure than we are with the glory of Jesus Christ. Often we are more concerned with our happiness than we are with the glory of Jesus Christ. And the problem, my friends, is that pattern, those formulas will never bring you joy. They will never bring you contentment, they will never bring you confidence, and they will never bring you hope. The secret to contentment, confidence, and hope is recognizing that in there is opportunity. There is opportunity to spread the gospel. There is opportunity to encourage other Christians. There is opportunity to identify priorities for yourself and for the other people in this world that are watching you. And when you do, when you seize those opportunities, you will experience the joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. There are many, many issues that cry for our attention. There is economic injustice, there are abortion laws, there is racial injustice, there is media bias one way or another, there is sexism, there is genderism, there are isms after isms after isms. And here's the thing. There is something deep inside of me that wants to fight and wants to argue the Christian position in all of those social ills. The problem is, is that fighting and arguing never has changed anyone's heart. Fighting and arguing hasn't changed people's heart in the past. It's not changing people's hearts in the present, and it is not going to change people's hearts in the future. Fighting and arguing does not change people's hearts. What changes people's hearts and minds is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the message that you and I without Jesus are lost. We are sinners and we are separated from a holy God, but yet God loved you. He loved me so much that he sent his one and only son to shed his blood on a cross so that if you believe, you are reconciled with God and you you have life now and you have life eternal. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ and when you own that gospel, when you own that gospel, it enters you. Jesus Christ through his spirit enters you and it changes your heart and your mind. If you want to, cha- if you want to change this world, if you want to change this world, stop arguing, stop fighting, stop being fearful if you want abortion to go away, if you want racial injustice to go away, if you want economic injustice to go away, if you want whatever-ism to go away and you want peace and goodwill for all men, the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, yes, that is what God calls us to through Jesus Christ in his spirit. be honest with you i am concerned over the equality act but have you ever thought that god's plan may be to pass the equality act not to provide equality because it will not but to provide adversity for followers of Jesus Christ, because in adversity there is opportunity to spread the gospel, to encourage other followers of Jesus Christ, and to identify your priorities as a follower of Jesus Christ. My friends, don't get caught up in the arguing, in the fighting, or in the fear. Recognize Jesus Christ as your number one priority and proclaim his gospel in the midst of the adversity of life. Amen. Amen. I told you, I told you through my prayer at the beginning that God worked on my heart this week. And he did. I am prone to fight and to argue. God convicted me of my sin. In just a minute, we're gonna partake of communion together. You are gonna commune with Jesus Christ. This is a way to identify your priority. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we are gonna partake in communion. It's the table of Jesus Christ. It is not the table of Calvary Church. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to take this. But my friends, if you are not right with the Lord, get right with the Lord. Because we tend to think that, not come, that coming to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, having done certain things, having committed sins is wrong, and it is, but we typically think of very different sins than the sins that I think God is directing us to address today. See, in too many of us, there's an argumentative heart. There's a fighting spirit. When the spirit should be that of Jesus, which is a spirit of love, concern, and compassion for a world that is dying. So when you come to this table, recognize this is the table of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.